The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you guys. I am Sarah, by the way. Pastor Josh, of course, is my husband. And for those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors here at New Song. I lead a couple different ministries, but one uh, of my favorites is our His Women's Ministry. We are His Heart, His Hands, His Daughters. And before I get started today with my message, I just want to invite all of you ladies here today to a really special event that we're having. It's August 25th. It's going to be at the uh, Inspirations Tea Room in Edmond. And we're going to have dinner. We're going to have dessert. Of course, we're going to have tea. You can't go to a tea room without tea. They're going to have hot tea and cold tea. And I have a really special guest speaker coming. Her name is Gail Anderson. And Gail and her husband, Kirby, are some of the most sought-after mentors in the body of Christ right now. They spend their days pouring into the next generation. And that's what I've asked her to come and do. So if you are a mother or you plan on being a mother someday, you're going to want to get a ticket to this event. They're $30. It includes the dinner and dessert and admission. And I've only got 35 spots available. And the first 30 people that register get entered into a drawing to win a a manicure and a pedicure from Bella Strada. So after service today, go out to the lobby. You'll see a table that has tea room bloom signups on it. Get your tickets today. I promise you this message, she has poured into me this summer and she has really helped me to refocus. She filled me with hope and helped me uh, just to be a better mom. And so she's teaching her message, the top 10 things I do again as a mom. And I promise you, you will benefit from it. Your children will benefit from it. Your future children will benefit from it. So be sure to sign up today in the lobby. All right. Well, for those of you who have been at New Song for any length of time, you know that the Blunt family loves us some Disneyland, right? You've probably heard Josh talk about it. I think I've talked about it. We've been married 13 years, and we have three kids. We have an eight-year-old son, a five-year-old daughter, a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and we've been at least 13 times because we've been married for 13 years. Uh, every year, Josh's parents give us plane tickets for Christmas, and we use those plane tickets to fly to Anaheim, California, and we spend a couple days at the happiest place on earth. So I've got a lot of memories at Disneyland with all of my kids, but my number one favorite Disneyland memory is when my son Gus, he's the eight-year-old, when he was three years old, he got to fight Darth Vader at Jedi Training Academy. And you have to understand this about Gus, at three years old, he is all about Star Wars. He still is pretty much, but but we, we tell him, listen, we're going to go to Disneyland and there's a chance that you get to fight Darth Vader. Would you want to do that? And he's like, yes, of course he prays, help me to get picked. And so we get to the park that day. We go to the Jedi training show and the Jedi master comes out and he's looking at the audience and he's going to pick about 20 boys and girls to be in the show. So he's kind of scanning to see who he's going to pick. All these kids are raising their hands and jumping up and down. They want to be chosen. I can still see Gus, little skinny jeans, new balance shoes on, little vintage Star Wars shirt, long blonde hair. Awesome. Cutest three-year-old ever. And he's jumping up and down. And and the the Jedi master looks at me and he says, how old is that little Padawan? And I had read before we got there that they had to be four, and he was only three. And I, I let my little pinky finger slip up, and I totally lied. This was, this was before I was a pastor's wife, okay? 
And I have asked for repentance since this moment, but that little pinky finger got us in and he got chosen to be in the Jedi training academy. So he gets up there, he's on his little uh, circle spot. They give him a brown robe and a lightsaber and uh, they teach him this little routine and then Darth Vader comes out. And if you've ever been to Disney, you know that they do not scrimp, man. They go all out. And so Darth Vader comes out and it is Darth Vader. He's got the cape, the mask, the boots. He's breathing his, I mean, it's, it's Darth Vader. And he's got the stormtroopers escorting him. Darth Maul's behind him, freaking everybody out. And, and, and when Darth Vader comes out, you can see all the kids, their eyes get real big. But they've been trained and they're ready to do this lightsaber duel. So when it's Gus's turn, Darth Vader comes out. Gus gets his lightsaber ready. And you also have to understand this about Gus when he was three. He had no idea how to channel his excitement. And so when he got excited, this is what he would do. Arms to the side, frozen, little clenched. He had the best glutes you've ever seen because he got excited a lot. And when he was excited, this was his, this was his go-to pose. He'd, he'd, he'd freeze like this. So he gets up there and he's got his little lightsaber and he looks at Darth Vader and just for, for about 10 seconds, just frozen. And then he'd swing it a couple times and then freeze a little bit more with excitement. And finally, the, the, excitement, the, the excitement went away and he was able to finish the battle and go back and sit with the rest of the kids. Well, when all the kids have gone through, Darth Vader comes over to them and he says, I'm so impressed with your skills. And he says, would you join me on the dark side? And of course, all the little Padawans say, never. And they use the force and they send Darth Vader and Darth Maul back into the holding area until the next show an hour and a half later. But what I love about these kids is that they are not going to give in. They are not going to join the dark side. They're not going to do what Darth Vader did. Now, hopefully you guys have all seen Star Wars. If you haven't, you gotta get with it. You've gotta see Star Wars. I may be ruining some of the plot line, but you should have seen Star Wars by now. It's kinda, it's kinda on you. So Darth Vader wasn't always Darth Vader, right? He was Anakin Skywalker, and he was one of the good guys. But some circumstances happened, some tragedy happened in his life, and he, he succumbed, and he went over to the dark side. Now, maybe you don't relate to Star Wars, but I know you relate to the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? This is what Kevin Durant has done to us. Kevin Durant was one of the good guys, right? He was an Oklahoma City Thunder player, but he let some circumstances take over, and he went to the dark side. So today we're going to talk about David, the life of David. And as I was studying David, I came, a couple, uh, I came across a couple of articles that compared the life of David to the life of Anakin Skywalker. And if you're a Star Wars nerd, you should Google this because it'd make a really interesting Bible study for you. But you can definitely see that George Lucas, he got some of idea, his ideas for the character of Anakin from the life of David. And so that's where I got the name for this message today. It's called The Dark Side of Discouragement. And we're gonna look at a time in David's life when he struggled with some serious, serious discouragement. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 27. 1 Samuel 27, and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you would speak to hearts today, that I would get out of the way, Lord, that they would hear you, that they would see you, Lord. I ask you for fertile hearts that seed can go down and get planted into and blossom and produce fruit, Lord. We ask you to speak to our hearts. We have our ears open, eyes open, hearts open to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so 1 Samuel 27, we're not gonna get there yet, but we will in a second, so just get ready. 1 Samuel 27. Now, how many of you guys have an Instagram account? Anybody got Instagram? Okay, New Song People has an Instagram account. I've got one. And when people talk about Instagram, they talk about how it's the highlight reel of your life. If you were to ask me, hey, what went on over the last year of your life? You could look at my Instagram and pretty much figure it out. You could see all the things that happened. We planted a church. We moved to Oklahoma City. All that stuff's gonna be on my highlight reel. It's gonna be on Instagram. And so to catch you up with the story of David to where we're gonna start in 1 Samuel 27, I wanna give you a quick highlight reel of David's life via Instagram, okay? So if you've got Instagram and you wanna follow along, you can search for David, son of Jesse. I created David an Instagram account, all right? And it's David underscore son underscore of son underscore, underscore Jesse, okay? So we're gonna go through his, his life here and see his highlight reel, kind of get us up to speed on the story of David, all right? Let's go to our first Instagram from David. This is when David pops onto the scene, all right? This is 1 Samuel 16 through 18. This is what he posts. Dude, today was nuts. One minute I'm hanging out with these guys and the next minute Samuel is pouring oil on me and anointing me as king. Not exactly sure how that works since Saul is king, but I'm pretty pumped about it. I know God's in this and I feel his spirit strong on me. Hashtag cray, hashtag is this for real, hashtag sheeps of Instagram, hashtag I just can't wait to be king. All right, so David, we, he, he starts in the fields as a shepherd boy. He gets anointed king. That's kind of where the story of David starts. All right, let's look at the next, the next Instagram post from David. All right, this is David. He's playing the harp. It says, got my first official gig playing for King Saul today. My hashtag harp skills help calm him down, and he seems to really like me. The palace is a nice change of scenery too. Hashtag workflow, photo cred at Abigail. So David is going back and forth between the field and working in the palace, right? He's, he's being a shepherd, but he's also getting to work for King Saul and playing music for him to help calm him down when these tormenting spirits come against King Saul, all right? Next slide. This is what David is most famous for. When we say David, you think Goliath. This is like his claim to fame, okay? So this is his Goliath post. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Hashtag Goliath is dead. Hashtag one shot. Hashtag one God. Hashtag blessed. David, uh, I think, coined the hashtag blessed for all of us, okay? So we all know he defeated Goliath. This is what he's, he's most famous for in the Bible. All right, next Instagram. I don't know who this guy is. But this is the best, the best meme generator. He, he gets used on like every meme generator. The face I make when already crazy boss became crazier than ever. And David says, everyone, please stop singing the David killed 10,000 song. Saul hates it. And I'm pretty sure he tried to kill me today. Good news is I got a promotion. I'm the new commander of a 1,000 man army. Let's do this. Hashtag tote jelly. Hashtag God is with me. So Saul is totes jelly of David. David has killed Goliath and he's growing in popularity across the kingdom and Saul does not like it. So much so that he tried to kill David. When your already crazy boss becomes crazier than ever, this is what David's going through. His next post, this is kind of what catches us up to speed. That's a camel cake topper for those of you who don't know from his wedding. 
Adorable. I wish we, me and Josh had that cake topper. Little tie, so cute. Okay, it says, I'm a married man. Mikkel was the most beautiful bride. Honeymoon is on hold until I finish fleeing for my life from my new father-in-law, a.k.a. King Saul. But at least I'm fleeing with my bride by my side. Hashtag camel cake topper. Hashtag till death do us part. Hashtag royal wedding. So David is now married to Saul's daughter. And from this point forward, things are never good again between David and Saul. He is permanently on the bad side of Saul. And that is a bad place to be because Saul was crazy. So he's jealous. Now David's married his daughter. And it tells us in, in let's see. 1 Samuel 28. It says, or 1 Samuel 18, verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. So from the wedding forward, Saul is chasing after David with one goal in mind, to kill David. And so for four years, for four years, David is running and David is fleeing for his life and he's not able to settle. He's a wanderer. He's going from town to town, from cave to cave, from village to village so that Saul will not kill him. It goes on for four years. First Samuel 23, 14 says, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. So he was on the run, but God was protecting him. So for something like 1,460 days, David's looking over his shoulder. He's not being able to settle. He's a wanderer and I'm sure he's also wondering When do I get to step into my anointing? When do I get to do what you've called me to do? When is this run going to be over? And all of these things caught up with David and discouragement settled in. This is interesting. He went from saying this to Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 15, he said boldly to Saul, God is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. And then go to 1 Samuel 27. I had you turn there earlier. This is our key verse. He went from being so bold and believing and being confident that God would rescue him to saying this. But David said in his heart, now I will die one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. I remember the first time I read that and the first time that kind of set in, that David, the great and mighty warrior, was convinced that there was nothing better for him, nothing better for him than to go and live among the Philistines. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Philistines were a bad bunch of people. They were God-cursing, God-hating, idol-worshiping people. You know how when you come into Oklahoma City, you go into Moore, it says home of Toby Keith. We're so proud of Toby, Toby Keith and Moore. He's, our, he's like Moore's claim to fame. Well, the Philistines' claim to fame was Goliath, home of Goliath, the giant that David had defeated, the giant that everyone else was so afraid to fight except for David. Now David's finding refuge in the hometown of the giant that he destroyed. And now he's up against a different kind of giant. He's up against a giant that he can't knock down with a stone. He's up against a spiritual giant. He's up against discouragement. Discouragement is something that we all face. And I want to give you a definition of this this morning. 
Discouragement, it's on the screens if you wanna write this in your notes. Discouragement is a dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and a distrust of the future. It's exactly where David's at. He's not satisfied with how the past four years of his life has been. His current mood is not a happy one. And when he looks into the future, he doesn't see himself crowned as king. He looks into the future and sees himself dead by the hand of Saul. And he is discouraged. And that discouragement drags him over to the dark side. He goes to live among the Philistines. And know this, he didn't just go to the Philistines, the land of the Philistines for like a week, take a little vacation, kind of gather his thoughts. He lived there for a year and four months. And while he was there, nothing good came of it. We have no record of any Psalms written while he was among the Philistines. He actually submitted to Philistine leaders. He did take out a bunch of Philistine villages while he was there for that year, killing men, women, and children, but he was never commanded by God to do that. So he wasn't fighting for the glory of God. He was fighting for his own personal gain. He was living as a bandit and he had taken 600 men with him was not a good time in David's life. And he got there because of discouragement. I think we all get discouragement. To be honest, I have faced discouragement this week in really great ways. I was discouraged yesterday. Had to, had to preach this message to myself yesterday. We all face discouragement. Maybe you're here today and you aren't seeing your prayers answered. And that's a source of discouragement for you. You're praying and you're believing God for something and you're not seeing the fruit, you're not seeing the answer. Or maybe you aren't seeing the results you want with your exercise plan. Maybe you're overwhelmed with your schedule, the busyness of your life, you don't feel like you can catch your breath, you can't get ahead of the curve, it's causing you to feel discouraged. Maybe you didn't get the job that you wanted. Maybe you had a five-year plan, and it's been eight years, and you're still not where you thought you would be. You're nowhere even close to where you, would, you thought you would be eight years ago. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're seeing some attitude, some rebellion in them. And when you, you don't feel like you can get through to them and that causes you to feel like a failure. It feels like you're failing and discouragement settles in. So we're all gonna face it. But if we don't, we don't learn how to, to nip it in the bud, then it becomes a giant and that giant bullies us over to the dark side. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. How can we identify discouragement and how can we get it out of our lives before it takes us over to the dark side? So we're gonna look at three causes. I've got three causes for you this morning. I've got three cures that we're gonna look at from this story from the life of David. The first cause that I see when I read the story that caused David to get uh, discouraged was exhaustion. Cause number one, was exhaustion. Now, when we're physically, emotionally, or spiritually exhausted, we become perfect candidates for discouragement. When we're tired, we don't think clearly, we don't make right decisions, things get blown out of proportion. I want you to think about how tired David must have been, how physically tired, right? He's been on the run for four years. He could not have been sleeping good. He's got 600 men with him. I'm sure half of those men snore. Any ladies with husbands that snore in here? Thank God I'm not one of those ladies. Josh does not snore. But my dad snored. Sorry, dad. <laughs> and I know that sometimes my mom gets so frustrated because she can't sleep because my dad snores. But, but beside the snoring, he's been running. He's been on his feet. He's sleeping from cave to cave. And no pillow, no sleep number bed, no fan, no sound machine. He has got to be physically exhausted. I know Josh and I took our kids to Whitewater Bay on Friday. And we were there from 10.30 to 4.30. And when we got home, 
we were physically exhausted. And that's just one day at a water park with three kids. Imagine how tired David must have been leading 600 men around, fleeing day to day. All right, so he's physically exhausted. He's mentally exhausted. Think about knowing that there is a person out there and the number one goal of their life is to kill you, that you are their target. Your death is their goal. Think about how often you think of that. And when you would lay down and try to sleep at night, how hard it would be to close, to shut your mind down, knowing that somebody, that Saul could be behind a rock or he could be out of the cave waiting or he could have soldiers coming to get you right then and there. His mind had to have been exhausted. And then he was spiritually exhausted. If you've ever been in any kind of spiritual battle, you know that when you're trusting God day to day for something, and you're seeking him, and you're needing him to to lead you and guide you, that you can get weary in well-doing, and you can become spiritually exhausted. So we see that David is exhausted. I know there's moms in here that will be able to relate to this, but a couple months ago, I was at that place of exhaustion. I was physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. I had a lot going on with, with my responsibilities at the church, and then I'm trying to be super mom for my three kids at home this summer, and just trying to manage my home life and everything, and I just found myself stretched really thin. And at the height of this exhaustion, my two-year-old, Sonny, who's been, she's been potty trained for a while, right? Like legit potty trained. We haven't had pull-ups, we haven't had accidents, in our house for a really long time. Well, she decides one day at the height of my exhaustion that she is going to pee all over everything in the house. And so I have no pull-ups. I thought the first time was just an accident. And then the second time I was like, this is weird. This is twice in one day. This hasn't happened in forever. And then three times. So she, she did it. She peed on her sister's bed. She peed on her bed. And then she peed on my leather couch. And not just like in one little spot on the couch, but she popped down right in between two cushions and peed right in between the two cushions. So it's, it's down the cushions, it's out, and like it's everywhere. And so I see what's happened. I go over to the couch to like tickle her and I'm like, why is it wet? Why does this, oh my gosh, this happened again. And so I rip the couch cushions off. I take them out in the backyard. I start tearing them off. I've got vinegar and baking soda and I'm trying to scrub everything down and it's hot. The sun is just beating down on me. And in about five minutes, my exhausted self has myself convinced that I'm a terrible mom and that this all happened because I haven't been paying enough attention to Sunny. And I'm not just a terrible mom. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good leader. I just had myself completely convinced and I believed all of the discouraging things that were headed my way and it was because I was exhausted. Exhaustion is not a good thing and it leads to discouragement. So here's the cure, right? The cause for discouragement, cause number one is exhaustion. The cure is rest. We have to build rest into our lives, okay? We have to rest mentally. We have to rest physically, we have to, to, to honor the Sabbath principle. We have to take one day a week where we are pulling away from the grind and we are trusting God. We are sharpening our ax and so we can go back in fresh and do what God has called us to do. We have to rest. But let me tell you this, it's not enough to rest physically. It's not enough to rest mentally. We have to be at a place where we enter a spiritual rest because it will do you no good to go and spend a day at the pool or go on vacation or play a round of golf Well, do you no good if your spirit is in a state of unrest? We have to rest spiritually. 
Hebrews 4, I don't think I have a a slide for this, but Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. God gave this to me this morning. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. He promised the Israelites this, and the promise still stands for us. God has prepared this rest. It's been announced to us. It's not hidden. He's announcing it, just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith. His promised rest has been announced to you. It's there for you. It's there for your taking, but it'll do you no good if you don't activate it, if you don't use your faith to get it. So here's how you do that. Think about when you go to a movie theater or something and you go to the bathroom, right? And you've got your sink there and the soap and you know the water's in the sink and you know the soap is in the soap dispenser. But if you don't put your hands out to automate the sensor or to activate the sensors, the water doesn't come and the soap doesn't come. You have to put your hands out by faith and receive that water and receive the soap that's there. God's promised rest is there for you, but you have to use your faith. You have to activate your faith to get it. You have to give him by faith your schedule. You have to give him by faith your to-do list. You have to roll all of your works onto him by faith and trust that he is in control and that he will meet all of your needs. So to beat exhaustion, you've got to enter rest. God's promised rest. But to do that, you've got to use your faith. All right? All right. The second cause for uh, discouragement is free-range emotions. Look back at 1 Samuel 27 if you're still there. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday, someday by the hand of Saul. David said in his heart, we see here, David is giving his emotions free range. He is making this statement in, to himself in his heart based on what he is feeling at that moment. He's not, he's not believing God. He's not trusting God. He's letting his emotions have free range. Now, we want our chickens to be free range, right? We want our cattle to be free range. We pay big bucks. Some people really care about their stuff being free range. They want it to be able to move around. But emotions that have the ability to move around in our lives unchecked lead to discouragement. You cannot let your emotions have reign in your life. Wherever You can't be led by them. Feelings lie. All right, so what's the cure? The cure is to guard your heart, to guard your heart. A few weekends ago, Ryan taught on Solomon. And Solomon is King David's son, okay? And Solomon was the wisest man. He's the wisest man to ever live. And he wrote a bunch of our Proverbs that we have in the Word of God. He wrote Proverbs 4. And that proverb is called a father's wise advice. And this isn't advice that Solomon is giving to his son. This is advice that David is giving to Solomon. This is advice that, that, that David gave to his son, okay? So I can imagine Solomon sitting down with David and they're getting ready to have a heart-to-heart talk. I've seen Josh do this with Gus. He'll sit down with him and say, Gus, I need to tell you something. And I don't know if you've ever been there as a kid. I remember having conversations like this with my mom where I knew she was about to tell me something that was really important. I could sense the tone in her voice, even in her eyes, like if her eyes were watering up or something, I knew like, What mom's about to say is a big deal, so I'm going to lean forward and I'm going to listen. And I imagine David sensing this with, or I imagine Solomon sensing this with David. Like, man, what dad's about to drop on me is big. And so Solomon says, David, listen. Are you listening? Listen, I need you to get this, son. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And that became Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. David knew too well 
the results of an unguarded heart. I imagine when he talked with Solomon, him saying, listen, I let my guard down a time or two. And when I did, it took me down a really bad path. I, remember, I, I imagine him recalling the regrets that he dealt with when he let his guard down and how he almost lost it all. And him saying, get this, son. Don't let your guard down. Guard your heart above all else. Now, think about how, how we, what we guard, the things that we're supposed to guard should be valuable, right? When every Sunday night when we get home from church, or small group or whatever, Josh takes our big blue garbage cans and takes them to the front of the curb and he, he sets them outside of our house. And those garbage cans sit there unguarded all night long, right? Why is that okay? Why don't we need to guard those garbage cans? Because what's inside them is worthless. It's pizza boxes, it's paper plates, it's trash, it's worthless. So we do not guard it. But that's not the case with your heart. Your heart is valuable and you have to guard it. It's who you are. Your heart is your authentic self. It's the core of your being. Your heart is where all of your dreams, where all of your desires, where all of your passions, it sits there in your heart. Your heart is how you connect to other people. Your heart is how you connect to God. So you have to guard your heart above all else. I love that that David didn't say to Solomon, you know, if you get around to it, it would be great if you could guard your heart. If you remember, guard your heart. No, he says, Above all else, Solomon, guard your heart. And I also love that he makes it on him. This is on you, Solomon. You have to guard your heart. No one else can guard your heart for you. Your spouse, your pastor, your friends, they can't guard your heart. It's your responsibility, church. It's our responsibility. We have to guard our hearts. No one else is going to do it for us. It's a job that we have to take seriously. And let me tell you, it's pretty much a full-time job. We've got to guard our heart. So here's how you do that. Here's what works for me. I found that if I get up in the morning and I capture my thoughts, my feelings for God, first thing in the morning before my day gets started, then it's easier for me to have a guard up around my heart, right? We've got to capture our thoughts, emotions, and feelings for God early in the morning. We do that through prayer, spending time talking with God. We do that through reading the word and we do that through worship. When we do those things, when we start our day that way, we put a guard around our heart. Or you can risk waiting till the afternoon when those discouraging thoughts are coming at you like arrows filled with poison. It's harder to build that wall when that stuff is already happening. That day when I was out in the backyard cleaning that couch in the heat and convincing myself I was a horrible person, I hadn't got up early that morning to spend time with the Lord because I was tired. I was too tired to get up and guard my heart. And then when those arrows started flying, it was a lot harder for me to, in that moment, start to put a guard around my heart. It's like when I got my wisdom teeth out. Anybody ever had your wisdom teeth out? It's terrible. It was so awful. But they cut all four of my wisdom teeth out. And before I left that day, they gave me my prescription. And they said, they told Josh, have her take this every six hours. And he's, they, they said, set an alarm at night and wake up and take it. Even if you're not in pain yet, you take that prescription. And they said, if you don't and the pain starts, it's going to be a lot harder to chase that pain. So you take it every six hours the first couple of days. The same goes for us in guarding our hearts. You get up early and you start before those, incur- or those arrows start coming your way. You capture your thoughts First thing in the morning, you seek first the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, it is worth it. 
It is not worth it to sleep in and, and not get that guard up around your heart. So take time to seek God and guard your heart first thing in the morning. All right, the second or the third cause for discouragement in David's life was memory loss. He suffered from short-term memory loss. When he said to himself, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul, that was a man who had forgotten God's past deliverance. He kind of had like the Dory thing from Finding Nemo, just, just forgot for a second who he was and what God had done for him. He forgot about the day he was anointed king. He forgot about the day he killed Goliath. He forgot about all the times Saul had tried to kill him and did not succeed. He forgot about the times God helped him fight off lions and bears. He forgot about the time he was on the battlefield and God spared his life. Now look at this. These are words that David wrote in Psalms 57. And he wrote this in that period of time where he was fleeing in that four years of time. Look at these words that he wrote. This is really powerful. He says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. Look at this. My heart is confident in you, oh God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. So he's running, but he is praising God and he is believing that God is gonna take care of him. But somewhere along the way, David forgot the words to this song. He forgot. He forgot about all the times God had been there for him and discouragement settled in. So here's the cure. Unlock the faith files. Cure number three, Unlock the faith files. Now we lead a small group, Josh and I, and in one of our family small groups, uh, I remember this, this guy talking about how one of the things he does to keep his relationship with the Lord fresh and personal is he's got a faith file. Now I don't think he had like an actual manila folder that he called his faith file that he would get out. He was just referring to, he has uh, in, in the ability to at any given moment pull up times that God has been there for him that he can remember in his head, that he can go over it in his head. And all of us, all of you need to have ready access to a faith file where you have uh, a, a, a somewhere that you can and look and remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Maybe it is a journal or a notebook where every time you see God's hand, you write that down. Or maybe it's a note on your phone that you just keep an ongoing note where when God answers prayers or whatever, you jot that down. So when discouragement comes knocking at your door, you pull out that faith file and you begin to recall everything that God has done for you so that you can make discouragement leave, right? This is from Psalms 103. David wrote this Psalm. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. May I never forget, he had forgotten before and he's saying, may I never forget again the good things that God has done for me. And let me tell you something that you can always remember. If you're feeling really discouraged, the cross is something that you must not forget. You can't forget the cross. So when you start to feel that way, remind yourself of the cross and all that Jesus has done for you. Now this story has a happy ending. David does not stay on the dark side. He comes back into the light. And as we close today, I'm gonna to invite the band back up. And we're gonna look at the turning point in the chapter, in this chapter of David's life. You could turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is what got David out of that pit of discouragement. 
and got him into uh, the plan that God has for his life, okay? So David and his men, they are lined up with the Philistines and they're about to go to battle against the Israelites. He's about to fight God's people as a Philistine. He has submitted to Philistine leaders and he's gonna go to war against Israel. But one of the Philistine leaders spots David and says, "Uh uh-uh, I know this guy. This is the guy that defeated David and I don't care if he's submitted to you. I don't care. I don't want him fighting with us. So he sends David and his men home. Now I imagine that these guys are pretty devastated because these are warriors. They war, it's what they do. They battle, they wanna fight, they wanna be out on the battlefield, but they're sent home. So they, they get their stuff, they're headed home. And it's a three-day journey. When they get there, the Bible tells us that they find their entire city burned with fire. All of their wives and children had been taken, including David. His wives were gone. And it says that these men, these grown men, these warriors, they wept until they had no more power left to weep. And when they got done weeping, they wanted to retaliate against someone. They were angry. And the person that they picked to retaliate against was David. And these men, these group of people that had been David's support group for the last five years, they turn their backs on him and they begin to discuss how they're going to stone and kill David. And what we're gonna read next, I think, was one of the most defining moments of his life. First Samuel 30, look at verse six. They're discussing how to stone him. And here's what David does. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Your Bible might say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We see David at rock bottom here. He is at a total moment of weakness, but it's in that moment of weakness that God's strength is made perfect in him. And I love this picture of the mercy of God because here's David who three days ago was about to fight against God's people. And then he comes to his senses and he hits rock bottom and he becomes desperate and he turns to God. And God doesn't say, hold on, we have to talk about some things. You're about to go fight my people and why did you stop trusting me? God says, no, I'm here, I'm here. I am your ever present help in time of need. Whatever you need, I'm gonna give it to you. You need strength, you need strength to get up. You need strength for wisdom. You need strength to know what to do in this moment. I'm here for you. I'm going to deposit my strength in you so glad that's the kind of God that we serve. No matter where you're at today, no matter what you've done, no matter how discouraged you may be, no matter how long you may have been camping out on the dark side of discouragement, if you look to God and you ask him to strengthen you, to encourage you, if you encourage yourself in him, encourage yourself with his promises, with his word, he is right there ready to make his strength perfect in you just like he did for David. I love that we sang this today. The Lord just, just was unpacking so much when we sang, you can have it all today. Because it's in this moment that David says, okay, you can have it all. And I love that line. Oh, the peace that comes when I'm broken and undone. David at this point is broken. He is done. But he turns and encourages himself in the Lord and he gets exactly what he needs to move on. I love what David Guzik says about this act. He's one of my favorite Bible commentators. He says, this wasn't some kind of raw, raw cheerleader, positive thinking mumbo jumbo. But when he strengthened himself in the Lord, this was the strength of the living God making itself real in the life and the heart of a hurting man. The same strength that would rise or that would raise Jesus from the dead. 
We've got to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I think a lot of times as Christians, we're waiting for people to come alongside and pat us on the back and say, you can do this. Come on, you got this. We need our small groups there. We need our friends. We need our spouses. That's all well and good. But when it comes down to it, guys, we got to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We got to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We got to stir up God's strength in us. We got to learn how to do this so that discouragement does not settle in. And here's the great thing about the story. God strengthened David, and it goes on to say that David recovered all. Everything that was lost says David recovered all. He wouldn't have recovered all if he would have strengthened himself and himself. He would have got stoned if he strengthened himself and himself. But he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God, his personal Savior, and he recovered all. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the life of David, this transparent part of David's story that we can gain so much wisdom from, Lord, that can help us every day to fight discouragement, Lord, to recover all. I thank you, Lord, that, that as discouragements are represented here today, people who are discouraged um, just in their day-to-day lives, maybe they had a bad date this weekend, Maybe they haven't had a date in a long time. Maybe they're discouraged because they obeyed you. And ever since they did that thing that you called them to do, they feel like they're, they're going through difficulty after difficulty. There's discouragements represented in this room tonight. And there's people that have crossed over to the dark side and they've lost parts of themselves, parts of their joy, parts of their strength, parts of their dreams, Lord, because of discouragement. And I pray, Lord, today that you begin to reveal to them your strength, that as they tap into you, as they look to you, that you perfect your strength in the areas where they've become weak, Lord. Take these areas of weakness, these areas of discouragement, and make them areas of strength, Lord. Teach us how to rest. Teach us how to guard our hearts and help us to never forget the good things that you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.